we're a full service agency, right? We offer all type of investigative services. Specifically, we're, we're known for surveillance, getting good video evidence on a regular basis. You don't you don't carry a gun or anything, though. No guns. You, right? okay. yeah, no. Too much liability. <laughs> no kidding, yeah. especially these days. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Call Your Broker, where we help to educate business owners, public officials, organization leaders, and consumers on all things insurance and risk management. This is Matthew Strzok of Treadstone Risk Management. Today, we gave Giovanni and John the day off, so let's get into it. This episode focuses on using social media investigations and insurance claims, and we're lucky to be joined today by Nate Reber from Prime Source Investigations. Nate, thank you for joining us. Uh, Nate Reber from Prime Source Investigations. Um, this is uh, our first time being able to interview you, which is fantastic. So um, we'll get into some some nitty gritty here, and uh, I think we had probably about ten pages of talking points we could get to. So uh, if we don't get to everything, obviously we'll have to do uh, another session um, here in the near future, which would be good. But um, so just kind of getting into it. So you're um, you're basically, would you call it, consider yourself a PI? Like, I mean, that's basically yeah. what it boils down to, right? Yeah, so we're private investigators. I mean, insurance investigators, really, surveillance operatives, social media analysts. That's the title, I guess, you'd give us. Okay, all right. Um, and so... You don't you don't carry a gun or anything though. No guns. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Too much liability. <laughs> no kidding, yeah. especially these days. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So really quickly, um, Prime Source Investigations. How long have you been in business? Uh, where are you located out of? And what kind of you know complement of services do you guys sure. offer? So we're a full service agency, right? We offer all type of investigative services, but specifically we're, we're known for surveillance, right? Getting good video evidence on a regular basis. Yep. And social media, you know, with the the changing in society, that's become very prevalent in our industry over the last 10 years. So, yep. um, so they're the two areas that we focus on. Been in business for about 20 years. Uh, we're based in South Jersey in Mount Laurel. Um, you know, we're, we're a smaller firm. We're not a nationwide company, but we're regional. We cover the New Jersey, PA, uh, Delaware, and New York areas. And we have about 40 employees. So, you know, what I would say our typical client is, is, um, you know, somebody involved, an insurance professional uh, involved in risk management. You okay. Know, so we deal with uh, TPAs, defense attorneys, uh, joint insurance funds. Um, and we have a lot of clients that are state entities and, and local municipalities as well. Okay. And is it uh, pretty much relegated to public sector, or do you also do some commercial stuff as well? No, we work with many self-insureds as well you okay. know, that, that have their you know risk that they have to, to monitor and, and and you know when necessary um, you know investigate. Okay. And how did you specifically get into the the world of doing, yeah. you know, PI or claims investigation kind so of work? So it's you know a long route of uh, many uh, uh, false hopes, I guess. I, you know, I was a criminal justice major at Temple University, thought I'd be the next uh, FBI agent, and uh, <laughs> you know things change. You know, you, you you gain respect for different industries, and and um, you know I, I did a short stint at the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. Mm-hmm. I worked in the uh, Family Violence and Sexual Assault Unit there, which I learned a lot about um, evidence, uh, discovery, uh, regulations, and uh, you know I took that information with me to the private side. Yep. Um, I became a surveillance operative in my early twenties, 
You know, I'm a young guy, but I've been doing it for over 10 years. So I was out in the field, you know, boots on the ground, doing surveillance in the cold winter and hot summer. And uh, from there, I moved into management. You know, I started managing about 15 investigators. And uh, now I, you know, deal with a lot of my client relations, understanding the cases better, knowing why we're investigating cases and and educating our clients on what we can do to help them mitigate exposure. Okay. So that was going to be like my follow-up question was really so... You know, my personal interest is really on the the insurance risk management side for the clients that we work with, mm-hmm. um, or that we will work and work with in the future. So, really, from um, you know your role and your perspective, what you and your firm add to the risk management process or the risk management program, if you had to kind of distill that into a couple of points, what are you really adding? Because I know, um, so a mm-hmm. lot of people think of claims investigation as like. You guys being the 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 kind of um, how should I say like doing the dirty work, right? You're yeah. trying to get the gotcha kind of like moment, right? Yeah. Um, so, but in in the the grand scheme of things, it's really altruistic, right? You're you're trying to save money or or really mm-hmm. kind of combat fraud, right? Yeah. Um, so are those kind of the two big selling points of bringing in a firm like yours in order to investigate some of those claims that an employer might have? Absolutely, it's all dollars and cents, right? So I would I would explain us as an a la carte service. Uh, we're not going to be involved on each and every case, right? Your, your normal insured with thousands of employees is going to have dozens, if not hundreds, of claims a year. Right. You're not going to hire a PI um, for every case, right? Yep. Minor slip and falls or compensable cases that you know are legitimate. You, you don't need to investigate. Right. It's when you have that um, over exaggeration, gross exaggeration, misrepresentation, uh, symptom magnification, things aren't adding up, right? Right. right. Um, that's when you know you need to have a second set of eyes take a look at it, yep. and that's where you know most of our insureds will come to Prime Source and say, you know, we'd like to take a look at the individual social media presence. We'd mm-hmm. like to see what they're doing, you know, um, you know, while out there, um, you know, living their daily uh, um, daily lifestyle. Right. You know, it, it's it's it really breaks down to dollars and the value of a case based off of what somebody claims their inabilities are as a result of their, say, work injury. Right, right. Um, you know, if, if somebody's claiming orthopedic injuries because of a back injury and they say they can't ambulate without a cane or a wheelchair, we go out and we determine, are they ambulating? Are they playing basketball? Yeah. Are they doing stuff that they totally say they can't do? Yeah, shoveling the driveway. Yes, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, and then even in um, psychological cases, right, which we're having a lot more of with PTSD and anxiety and depression, Concussions, uh, closed head injuries. Mm-hmm. You know where people are telling their doctors, "I, I can't, I can't go back to work because I can't even drive. Right. And I can't leave the house without sunglasses." But yet, we're out there. They're driving. They're picking up their kids. They're going grocery shopping. Yep. Working out at the gym. Um, not wearing sunglasses. So, so they're the things that we want to compare and contrast, right? Sure. You got their story. You got their claim petition. You, you know what they're alleging, mm-hmm. and that's going to cause their attorney to say, this is how much this case is worth. Right, right. And uh, as a result, we're going to go out and we're going to try to mitigate that exposure and, and tell you what, what really is going on. Sometimes sure. people are legitimate. Yeah. Um, oftentimes they're not. Well, n- not to not to devolve into, um, uh, you know, like a, a political discussion or anything like that, but the specifically on the workers' comp side, right, mm-hmm. um, the courts in, in New Jersey and the Northeast seem to be a lot more liberal than in other parts of the country, right, mm-hmm. um, with maybe the exception of, of California and a couple of other spots. But so, um, 
you know, I think the the value from my perspective is when those red flags do kind of show up where, you know, a claim just isn't, it doesn't just, it just doesn't sound right, right? Yeah. Um, the employee had a, a, you know, kind of a minor incident and now all of a sudden it's blown up into this, you know, big back claim or something like that, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars. A lot of times, you know, the, the, uh, it doesn't pass the smell test, right? Mm-hmm. But when it gets to the court system, the court system, even if it smells a little bit funny, they're always going to err on the side of the employee, right? Of course. Um, and that's by design. That's yeah. that's to to really look out for the employee's best interest so that like a predatory employer isn't necessarily mm-hmm. just fighting every single claim to try and knock it out and not have to pay anything. So when, when you come into the picture, um, you're helping to combat that. Uh, mm-hmm. That dynamic, right? The, you know, yeah. the the employee just can't say, "Oh, well, you know, I had one good day, and that's just why, you know, I, I kind of, you know, my employee, my fellow employee saw me doing something that I shouldn't have been doing." You're actually sitting there uh, creating, you know, a catalog of evidence, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's the best defense that most uh, petitioners have is, you know, yeah, you caught me playing basketball, but it was just that one day. And I'll tell you what, I had PT earlier in the morning and I was feeling great. And, you know, I was really loose out there. Right. Even though I played for two hours, you know, it just was that one good day. Yeah. Um, but no, we, we don't want to get one good day. We want to, you know, develop a pattern. And a lot of times I have my clients, you know, in large loss cases where you're looking at six-figure demands, rather than just going out there for three days of surveillance in one month period, I'd say, let's let's scatter this a little bit. Let's do a day here and then again in two weeks and again in two weeks right. um, to show that, you know, there's uh, there's an evolution of, of this individual continuing to move um, orthopedically without restraint. Right. And I think the other dynamic there is, it's not necessarily that you're building a case to say that the employee shouldn't be covered at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's also uh, doing the due diligence to figure out, all right, if they have suffered a, a eligible injury and they have some disability that comes with it, uh, kind of a you know finding a a measuring stick for mm-hmm. trying to figure out how much disability is there, right? So if it's a compensable claim, it's a compensable claim, right? If there's right. an injury there and there's a, a demand that needs to be met, then there is. But it's really that, you know, do we need to go to the highest value or do we bring that value down based off of the abilities that the, the individual still has? Right, right. I And that also comes into play from... Uh, and we'll we'll talk later. Uh, we have another episode lined up with John Gini from Cape Art Scatchard, but that really kind of comes into play with the, the the defense attorney's role. Is you know the the employee and their attorney is going to put a number on it and think what you know they want to think the the value of the disability or the <clears throat> overall claim is. The defense side also has to come up with some kind of idea of what that is. Um, and so, you know, I've seen it in action. You know, your guys' feedback into that process really helps a lot so that um, sometimes an, an equitable resolution actually can be found as long as we know kind of what the, you know, the continuum is here as opposed to, you know, one person asks for a million dollars and the employer wants to pay 10, you know, like, right. yeah. And I would say that the defense attorneys, John Ganey, K. Park, great guy, very good friend of mine. Um, but they only have so many tools, right? Obviously, they're a great legal team, you know, and they put their legal work into it. Uh, they have their doctors and their IMEs and, and the reports from their doctors. But, um, you know, being able to combat, you know, somebody saying they need a six-figure demand, you know, uh, versus, you know, tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. is surveillance, right? And right. That, that's that's where we play a big part. And, you know, I know John and his team uh, really value the, the evidence that we can help and, you know, give them a stepping stone in that argument, you right. know. 
right. uh, against the, the petitioner's attorney. Oh, yeah. Uh, so just to take a, a short step back, so we talked about kind of the red flags that can be built into some of these claims that might result in bringing in a firm um, like yours in order to, to do some investigative work. What are some of those red flags that can kind of come up and really uh, clue someone in that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the claim is either uh, something where you need to come in and put some, you know, numbers behind it or help put some numbers behind it, or maybe even might just be an outla- outright fraudulent claim? Yeah. I, like I said earlier, you can't investigate them all, right? So right. <clears throat> I often tell my insureds and, you know, risk managers, personnel directors, BAs at schools, you're on the front line, right? Mm-hmm. You're the one that you're going to get the tips from other coworkers telling you that this guy's fraudulent. Oh, yeah. But you're going to be the one reviewing the video or the lack of video in a situation. Um, and that's the information that you need to um, pass down the food chain, um, specifically with your TPA you yep. know, that's handling it, yep. um, your defense attorneys and us as the investigators. So we know how we want to direct our investigation and whether or not there needs to be an investigation. Mm-hmm. So there's red flags as to whether or not in a situation is compensable, right? Right. Um, no witness, no, no video. Right. Uh, let's take an example of a, a janitor at a school getting injured on a Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. It's not due until 8. Yeah. And it happened where there was no video evidence, right? Yes, yep. Did this actually happen? Is it compensable? That's a big red flag. Um, did it happen over the weekend in the social media show that this guy was playing football and he twisted his uh, ACL or yes. something over the weekend? So that's one example how a red flag could be used. Uh, I mean, y- you can look at an individual as well, the, the family dynamic. You know, mm-hmm. is, there, is there a history of claims there? Mm-hmm. Does this individual's, uh, both of his parents, uh, get a nice settlement at one point? It's almost a, a feeling that he's due his just... Uh, uh, settlement as well. Right. Or right. It, is this guy, you know, a career claimant? Mm-hmm. Does he have an ISO sheet that is five pages long of 10 prior claims? Yep. And, you know, he did it at all the other places he was working at. So um, they're, they're good examples of red flags. Um, you, you know, when doctors from an FCE or an IME say, this guy was dogging it. You mm-hmm. know, he, mm-hmm. he was in here, you know, on crutches and uh, a brace and, you know, he was over exaggerating to me. I think you should take a look at him and see if he's really uh, living the same lifestyle that he's telling me he's living. Right. Um, so they're, they're the big ones. Our favorite is the over exaggerated. I can't do anything claim. Yeah. Right. So that's the guy that totally a, incapacitated. Yeah, yeah. You know, a three mile per hour motor vehicle accident <laughs> where there's a, a fender bender or a, a slip and fall in a hallway that was very minor, but yet now their life's over. You right. Know, they, they, right. They, yes. They can't leave their house. Uh, yeah. They have depression and, you know, they're never going to be able to return to work. Right, right, right. You know, that's just uh, an ambiguous claim that you need to investigate. Yeah. I, this, so um, I, I've seen I've seen a bunch of those. Um, and sometimes you end up with, uh, you know, what what uh, we kind of, you know, use as uh, slang or, or, you know, just kind of a catchphrase is, you know, a frequent flyer, right? Someone who... They seem to just get injured every, you know, twelve months or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen I've seen cases where <clears throat> it's actually legitimate, right? They they just have a job where it's uh, bad luck. yeah, bad luck, right. um, really physically intense labor that they're doing as their as their role, um, and it's it's legitimate. Um, and so I think the the take home from my uh, st- my perspective or my standpoint is that there's no. Um, like single red flag, right? That's necessarily going to contribute to bringing you guys in or, or questioning the, the validity or the extent of something like this. It's really, you know, the, the picture as a whole, right? So mm-hmm. you have to paint that entire picture. Um, and then when it comes to the courtroom, 
you guys are painting a portion of that picture um, to either substantiate, you know, one side's claim or the other. Um, and and so I, I think that's hugely helpful, especially in self-insured cases, because in self-insured cases, you know, it's it's the employer's dollar. And so those dollars are going to be distributed one way or another. If we end up saving a little bit on a claim because we're we're pulling that money back from an overall settlement, that now means that there's more money in the organization to go to salaries or you know to go to toward benefits or reinvesting yeah. in the company and growing. So that's all um, you know. That's all really important in terms of just counting every penny or trying to save every penny that you can, right? Uh, so now the the overall topic that we wanted to hit on, and you touched on it a little bit with this uh, session, is just to talk about social media investigation, right? So um, kind of what goes into it, what constitutes social media investigation, and then really its role in the overall investigation of a claim. Right. This is the juicy stuff, the, the fun topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody wants to hear more and more about it. Um, what I would say is, you know, ask yourself, right, in 2019 – how much are you doing that's online? Right. How much of a digital footprint do you create, Matt? Right. Um, you oh, know. oh, I create a, I create a huge one. <laughs> you know, what What aren't you doing uh, that doesn't involve your smartphone or your laptop or your iPad? Right. Yep. Um, think about how many selfies are posted online each and every day. Oh, no kidding. So today, you know, your social media presence is really a society status point for people. Yep. Um, and people are, are, are sharing more and more each day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's the big profiles, the LinkedIn, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Twitter. Everybody knows the big four, but there are four of over 500 platforms that are out there. And there's new ones created every day. Yep. Um, so what we want to know is what's your presence on that? What's your online digital footprint? And how does that compare and contrast to what you're claiming and alleging in your your, your work-related accident? Right, right. So, you know, we want to scour that internet and we want to find, you know, are, are you are you posting um, about where you're working out? You know, are, are you talking about, um, you know, your fitness plan or your diet plans uh, on my fitness app? Right. Um, you know, are you talking about upcoming vacations or past vacations you took around the data loss on TripAdvisor or, or, or sites like that? Right. You know, are you promoting your own business on Angie's List or Craigslist or Facebook ads? Mm-hmm. Um, you're out of work, but yet you have a landscaping business you're promoting. How does that work? Right. You know, so these are ways that we can really monitor somebody's social media presence. And the best way for an insured or risk manager to look at it is it's a public window mm-hmm. into somebody's daily lifestyle activities. If you're not taking advantage of that public window, you're doing a disservice to your insured or your, your state entity right. uh, that you represent because that information's there. There. And that's part of the picture. Like you said, you're trying to draw this picture. You're trying to get an understanding of the injury and the individual's abilities. And social media is, is a number one stop for mm-hmm. us as investigators to gather that information. Right. Now, uh, logistically, I kind of want to clear the air because mm-hmm. I think some people <clears throat> might get the misconception that uh, you're you're digging in um, – not necessarily in nefarious ways to their social media feeds, but some people always get worried that, like, oh, my my Facebook page got hacked or something like that. Yeah. Someone must be trying to, to dig up some information. You guys aren't really hacking into someone's social feed, right? It's a matter of um, what they're sharing and making publicly mm-hmm. available. And then I think there's also some case law behind it where, you know, if you share something on your page and it's marked as private or something, um, but then someone who's connected to you then shares that, 
um, now it's out in the open, right? It's right. it's something that's freely um, discoverable by whomever might come across it. Is that right? Yeah. So, you, you know, you hit on it. The, the big deal for us legally is public versus private. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, you know, that's one of our biggest barriers as, as time goes on. People are becoming more aware of their online presence. You know, right. it's almost like a resume uh, of who you are and what you do. So people are conscious of that. So, yeah, we do have to, you know, limit ourselves to to publicly available information. Uh, You know, we're held to the same legal guidelines, um, you know, as many others in that, you know, if I get if I get um, subpoenaed, you know, for a deposition, I have to explain how we went about our investigation Mm -hmm. and how we met our legal guidelines to do so. Right. but like you mentioned, you know, Matt Strzok, uh, he keeps his, his profiles private. Right? <laughs> he doesn't share with anybody what he's doing or what he's up to. But your wife loves to talk, and she loves to talk about your family and your kids and how you coach your daughter's softball team. Um, so that's the information we're going to use, and that's how we're going to keep digging. Right. Um, you know, we had a case not too long ago that kind of revolved around this where an individual had a, a private everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a firefighter out of work for a few years. Okay. Um, he actually had a knee uh, surgery uh, that was approved by the insured. They paid for it, and he was a year post-op, but mm-hmm. he did not want to return to work. Okay. Um, all of his, you know, the, the doctor said, this guy's playing games. He's ready to go back to work. He should really investigate. <clears throat> so like I said, red flag, when a doctor says investigate, you want to you wanna jump oh, on it. Oh, most definitely, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. So we start investigating, and he has a lot of online profiles, you know, between LinkedIn, Twitter, and, and uh, Facebook. He was very active, mm-hmm. um, but it was all pub, uh, private information. So we were limited to, you know, some basic parameters that didn't really tell us about his abilities. Right. However, uh, a few weeks later, as we continued monitoring, he opened up an Instagram page. Okay. When he opened up that Instagram page, he wasn't uh, – conscious of private versus public okay and you know new pages are often set publicly mm-hmm. well he has a knee injury but yet he wanted to share and tell all of his friends that he recently went to the trampoline fun zone oh my god where he was jumping on trampolines <laughs> uh, dunking basketballs diving into foam pits so that video w- was awesome and we were able to take that give it to the doctor who was livid mm-hmm. uh he brought the patient in and uh, shared the video yeah. with the claimant. Yeah. And believe it or not, the claimant said, you know what, I, I think I'm ready to go back to work. Yes, so yeah. so th- he changed his tune very fast. So that's the power of, you know, just because somebody's profile is private, don't stop digging. You right, know, right. You're going to find other stuff that they're going to open up or family and friends are going to put some information out there that's going to help you lead your investigation. Right. And I think, uh, so obviously opinions of social media just in general, you know, from a cultural standpoint, there's a wide range, right? So a lot of people feel that social media is the devil and they don't want to share anything on there. And then other people essentially, like you said, they live their entire life there and that's how they connect with most of the people that they're, they're talking with, um, especially over long distances. I actually kind of, I, I find it a truth serum, right? But, I actually find it a truth serum to a to a positive extent, because if you're now putting that stuff out there, you're you're now bound by you know what you're actually posting, what you're sharing, mm-hmm. um, you know your thoughts and feelings that come with it, and so your I, interests, I, your likes, your hobbies, all that kind of stuff is I, out there. Yeah, and I think the. Uh, I think at the beginning, a lot of people, I mean, you see it in like Major League Baseball and professional sports a lot. 
uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, high schoolers or teenagers get on it and they think they can share just anything. I think adults aren't immune to that either. I think they mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I have a new Facebook page. I can, you know, I can say as many F-bombs and, and you know, uh-huh. uh, threaten the president's life and all this other stuff and it doesn't have any repercussions. But I think over time they end up learning a mm-hmm. little bit and – I think some of the work that you do actually helps bring them back to a place of accountability, right? You know? Yeah. yeah, and you're you're right on the older generation. You know, they're not the most tech savvy at some at points, and you know, just getting that Facebook account set up, they don't think anything to the privacy versus um, publicly posted information. Right. So, right. Um, you know, another example I have, is, I could just tell you how important social media is to us. You know, in, in using it, is, is we do social media investigations on any assignment we get for surveillance. Okay. Okay. Because imagine, you know, if, if we didn't do it. Um, it would be like going out blindfolded to perform surveillance. Right, right. We wouldn't have photographs. We wouldn't have information about individuals. And you kind of use that as a roadmap, right? So yeah. it's, uh, the social media isn't always the the smoking gun or the silver bullet, right? Mm-hmm. The social media just kind of gives you that background or context to figure out what the next steps are, right? Yeah. So I like to look at it as social media as lead or tip generation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then surveillance is, is black and white. That's your video evidence. Right. And that's what's going to contradict a claim. Um, you know, there's there's pitfalls with social media that, you know, make surveillance a lot more valuable. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. So, um, and I think that's a good thing as a take home as well is, you know, it, it's not just, it's not just the social media, media mm-hmm. investigation, right? The social media is kind of leading you down a path, um, but it's really going to be that concrete evidence on the back end yes. that kind of supports that. <clears throat> and that's also, again, uh, also helps protect those folks that it's actually legitimate, right? Um, even if they do post something like, you know, them going somewhere or, or, you know, picture of them shoveling the driveway or something, that's, again, a single point in time. It might just have been that. It might have been a good day. It might have been they got mm-hmm. like some kind of pain injection and they were able to do something that day. Well, know? let me yeah. give you an example too. You know, with baseball season starting, um, we had an individual who uh, just posted a, a picture of him swinging a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Now, there was no stadium in the background. There was no geo tracking or metadata that put him at a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the date of loss was several months ago. Now, that photo is, is great and a client may say, oh, he's, you know, he's swinging a bat. We got him. You know, it's cut and dry. But, his, t- his attorney is going to say that photo was from years ago, and he just posted it because, you know, baseball season starting. It's his connection to baseball. Right. But what it tells us as investigators is he's got a connection to baseball. This isn't your evidence, but this gives you a reason to look further into local intramural leagues and baseball leagues. Mm-hmm. Is he playing baseball? Find right. those season schedules and, and schedule surveillance on days where we think he might be playing baseball. That's where you get your evidence. Okay. I. So uh, my next thought here is, in, uh, is there any ever a circumstance where an employer should be kind of doing this work, or do you think it is best suited to bring someone like Prime Source in to, mm-hmm. to do this, and, and why, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have a lot of junior investigators out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, they watch CSI, yeah. so, you know. <laughs> a lot of times I'll get a case and an adjuster will say, I already found his Facebook. He's all over Facebook. Yeah. But that's where they stop, right? Yeah. So what I would say, there's, there's do's and don'ts if you're going to be doing your own investigation. One is hire a professional, and I mean that, you know, in the, in the softest, most re- respectful manner as possible, but you want objectivity, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. don't want to be the one that's going to be called to uh, 
the deposition right. and testify to the findings. You know, we have adjusters that'll find a photo of somebody fishing, print it out, put it in their drawer, and then two years later, when the case is finally coming to um, trial, you know, what are you going to do? Hand the judge a, a photo from two years ago of him fishing? Yeah, right. You know, there's no documentation of the rest of his online presence. Mm-hmm. So, you want to scour completely. You know, like I said before, you know, there's there's algorithmic database resources we use mm-hmm. um, to go deeper than what a junior or, you know, just an unseasoned investigator would uh, would be capable of doing. Yeah. Um, when you do hire your professional SIU partner, whether it's Prime Source or somebody else, you know, I would say um, be conscious of providing them with as much information as you possibly can. Um, you know, people think, oh, here's his name, date of birth, and the date of injury, um, and his address. You know, go get him. Yeah, yeah. But for many reasons, we would like to know, does he have a cell phone? Does he have an email address? You know, can that stuff help us develop a handle, you know, on a, on a small social media platform that nobody else knows about, like TikTok right, or, right. Or, or some forum? Uh, and then, you know, you also want to take information about history. You know, is there a tip that this individual plays baseball? Or, you know, is there a tip that he's running his own landscaping business? So we can dig deeper into business registration records for that type of stuff. Right. So, so we can really encompass everything when we investigate for you. Now, so social media investigation isn't a panacea, right? So uh, it's not always going to be 100% um, – not without or maybe even with some failings but i mean there are some uh some bumps in the road right so what are some of the drawbacks to social media investigation i mean can it work against uh an employer in in kind of combating things or um you know how what's really kind of the drawbacks so so if we go back to the junior investigator trying to do their own investigation you have to be careful right you can leave your own footprint so if you Say Matt wants to Matt, the risk manager at ABC Company, wants to go and investigate a, a petitioner, and you find their LinkedIn page and you start looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to leave your footprint on their LinkedIn page, right? right. They're going to get an email that Matt, the risk manager at my company, is looking <laughs> at my page. Yes, right? yeah. And now, if I'm running my own business or promoting a sm- you know a small business endeavor while I'm out on comp, I'm going to put everything down. I'm going to close down my pages. I'm not going to do anything revolving around that business. And it's going to make it harder for us as the investigators to go out and get you that evidence, right? right? Not to mention the fact that you can stumble into an employment practices liability claim for, you know, discrimination or harassment. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, I think we talked on the public versus private issue. That's a big one. And then I think the other drawback that we we mentioned was just, uh, you know, dates, uh, you know, dates of, of photos, dates of videos, you know, sometimes you do have the geo-tracking capabilities and metadata that, that can help confirm that an individual was at a certain event and, and that video did take place on that day, mm-hmm. but oftentimes you don't. And that's petitioners, uh, attorneys, you know, best defense when it comes to social media findings. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, uh, so, uh, What's funny is I, I got to give a shout out to to Ming Chen here in okay. a shared universe. Uh, this uh, this podcast studio. This is the first time we're here officially for Call Your Broker, um, but I was here earlier for an interview on another podcast, and it just impressed me so much um, that uh, we decided to make the transition. So now we're we're cutting the episodes here. But so when you're talking about kind of authentication, um, we're sitting in a studio filled with. Um, collectibles, you know, signature stuff like that, right? And so that's always uh, a big deal when it comes to authenticating anything, right, is being able to place the person or um, place the actual 
evidence that you see in front of you within some kind of context to make sure that it's it's actually truthful and not fraudulent, right, or manipulated. And so I think, uh, you know, that, that piece of that where a picture can go up on a day that might have been weeks in the past or week in, weeks in the future um, from when that pi- that picture was taken uh, is is a, a big component to this, mm-hmm. right? So you always have to work with a professional firm that's cognizant of those things, right? So just any investigative firm that's coming in that's saying, oh, we got him, like July 13th he was there doing <laughs> this, um, you guys are actually dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Right. So that's an important point to anyone who might listen to this or is listening. You know, you're you're – you need to work with a firm that doesn't just say they do social media investigation, right? Mm-hmm. They actually have a pedigree for it and actually understand how social media works. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, you know, just to plug Prime Source for a second, I would tell you that, you know, we don't charge for social media analysis with the assignment of surveillance. And I told oh, wow. you before, it's, it's something that we offer for free. Um, and it's something we've been doing for the last few years. Because we're going to do it anyway, Matt. Mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, we'd be going out blindfolded without doing a social media analysis. You know, some of my team members uh, get frustrated with me sometimes because we have a very large list of uh, social media um, assignments that we need to get done in a, ta- in a time-sensitive manner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's important. You know, I don't want to go out on surveillance because uh, I can't schedule strategically right. without that information. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, that's always, you know, the uh, the advice that I give as a risk manager is – you know, you want the you want the correct professionals, not just in terms of the name or the role that they play, mm-hmm. but you always want that experiential component to it, or you know that subject matter expertise. Um, all right, so I think we we've uh, really kind of done a, a pretty decent dive into social media investigation. I want to transition a little bit just to some of the uh, I'll call it kind of like the secret spy elements of yeah. uh, claims investigation. Good description. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what kind of advancements have happened? I mean, technology is advancing all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's the case within the investigative world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a two-part advancement, right? So we just covered the first part, yep. social media. That that advancement to scheduling of surveillance has been uh, dynamite for us. You know, we know when to schedule now. Mm-hmm. We know what to be looking for. We know family demographics. We know vehicle information, you know, residential setups. Um, Google Earth, you know, tells yep. us so much more. So so social media and, in, and internet mining really helps us on one side. Mm-hmm. And the other side is just technology and the advancements in, in cameras and video equipment. So, you know, hidden cameras have always been around. You know, it used to be uh, one of my senior partners talks about how we used to carry a camera in a big suitcase yeah. to go into a grocery store. Uh, why do you have that big suitcase in the gym? Uh, yeah, right. Know, but, <laughs> you know, that's how it was years ago. And today, you know, cameras are, are the size of a pen or a box of uh, box of matches. You yep. know, they're very, very small. Um, your cell phone can double as a hidden camera. You know, there's apps with date and time stamps, and you can have a black screen on your cell phone and have it out like everybody else does right. at a gym or a, you know, a fitness center and be able to videotape people working out at the gym. Yeah. So that technology has helped us you know, not only get people when they're outside mowing their lawn, but get people when they're bartending in a bar uh, off the books or when they're serving at a restaurant or working out at a gym. Right. Now, we've also taken this technology to the next level. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know at Prime Source, you know, in, in speaking with industry professionals, uh, we're one of the few companies doing it. Mm-hmm. And we've created what we call the Prime Source Surveillance Sidekick. Okay. So let's talk about that hidden camera, yep. right? And now let's combine it with Wi-Fi technology. 
All right. Okay. Yep. So walk with me, Matt. Right? Yeah, yeah. Put I'm, on the surveillance I'm with you. hat. Right. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about some of the more challenging surveillance setups that we've ever faced as investigators. And whether you're talking to Prime Source or any of my competitors, they're going to tell you the worst cases are rural setup cases. Right? Okay. Imagine a case up in Northwest. And no it, cover. It, no cover. Right. <laughs> the houses are spread out. You know. By, by uh, hundreds of yards. Uh, there's no shoulder on the side of the road. Um, put yourself in the shoes of a surveillance agent. What do you do, right? Yep. You set up your vehicle on the side of the shoulder, and it's first thing that the claimant sees when they leave their house is you and your vehicle. Yeah, how, right. how do you follow them? Yeah. Right? How do you get anywhere? And what's your other option? Your other option is, okay, there's a gas station a half mile away. Mm. Let's go set up there, which is to the left of the residence, and let's cross our fingers that he's going to come our way. Right, right. right. You're only covering 50, one of 50. the two exit routes. Yep. Not a good, not a good way to, to handle the case. So now what we do is we use our sur- prime source surveillance sidekick uh, with that hidden camera technology mm-hmm. and some proprietary disguises, which I can't really uh, explain too much. Okay. But Disguises for you or disguises for the camera? The camera. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Again, imagine the size of a box of matches or a pack of cigarettes, right? We're talking about a very small hidden camera that can be put on a public roadway um, that we can see the exit from that residence. Okay. Now, as a manned surveillance operative working in conjunction with this surveillance sidekick, we can set up at that local gas station, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we can open up our iPad or our laptop, and we can watch the live stream of that video. So now, when that individual comes out in the blue van or the white van, or he turns left or he turns right, we know and we're ready to go out there and get him. Okay. As opposed to sitting up and, and you know him seeing us right away, or sitting and hoping he comes our way. Right, right, okay, right. Okay, so now we have the technology to answer some of the ch- most challenging setups. Mm-hmm. So that's one one extreme. The other extreme is the inner city setup, right? Yep. So in Philadelphia, you have a front entrance and a rear alley. Yep. Okay. In, in Hoboken, you have a, a 10-story apartment building with two exits, right? right? One right. on each side. Yep. So you can't, you're not two guys. You can only do so much. Now you have a surveillance sidekick, which again is something Prime Source isn't charging extra for. Mm-hmm. We look at it as another tool in our kit, right? Mm-hmm. That we're going to apply to our cases. So you're getting the power of two investigators watching two different exit ways with one one manned investigator. And so now, is that a technology that you guys have developed internally? Like, is that a proprietary? Is that something that's available out there in the marketplace? Or how did that kind of manifest itself? I would explain it's a combination of of, a few different uh, technology devices that are out there. Okay. All right. And that's all I would – that's kind of where I'd leave it. That's fine. I'm I'm a big proponent of – um, just te- technology in general, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, taking your expertise on the job, and and really not just taking what's out there for granted, but you know, uh, basically adapting and overcoming or or bringing in new technology that maybe you're repurposing from a different industry or something. So uh, that's big. I I, yeah. I love that. You know, I the the. Uh, the one of the seven seven deadly sins should be complacency, right? Yes. We've always done it that yeah. way. Is the worst phrase uh-huh. that um, you could ever hear as a risk manager, or even you know, probably a surveillance professional. Um, all right, so 
uh, we talked about some logistics. We talked about some, uh, you know, kind of day-to-day type stuff. Uh, I really want to ask you in terms of some of the more interesting cases that you've been involved yeah, in, right? Yeah, a- I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's some fun <laughs> stories that you have. I'm pretty sure not all of them are, uh, you know, things that you can necessarily put out there or, or want to put right. out there maybe. Um, but do you have a kind of uh, a couple of more eye-opening the gotcha uh, cases, stuff. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, just kind of really strange or or extreme cases where uh, you know the uh, the circumstances were just completely different than yeah. what everyone thought the original situation was. So as far as surveillance goes, there's there's a new crazy story every week. You know, we're seeing stuff uh, um, that that's really mind blowing, and you'd just be like, no, that didn't really happen. It did. Yeah. Um, so so I have a lot of surveillance stories, but. I think one of the best uh, gotcha social media stories I have just came up about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were asked to investigate three young females in their early 20s uh, who were involved in a motor vehicle accident. They were all in the vehicle together. Okay. The accident happened uh, over a year ago, uh, about a year and a half ago. And they said, you know, we want to know what their social media presence is. They got a lot of orthopedic restrictions, some psych restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just, you know, report and, and let us know where we stand. Mm-hmm. So we go into it, and we find two of the three girls very fast. You yeah. know, we, we see their presences. All, I mean, they're 22-, 23-year-old females, so their presence is all over the place, dozens of platforms. Right. We're having a hard time finding the third female, hmm. whose first name is Josephine. Okay. Um, you know, we're, we're digging and digging. It just doesn't make sense to not find her profile. But when we're, we're reviewing, you know, and sometimes this is where it's it's more than just a name search, but it's really reviewing the material that we develop. And mm-hmm. we're, we're looking into the other two girls' profiles, you know, pretty deep. And we're, we're noticing an individual by the name of Josh that's showing up on both of these females' pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start looking into Josh a bit more. Mm-hmm. And we go back over the years. And there's a one platform in particular, TikTok. Uh, where we we saw many videos being posted, yep, and we saw a transformation, uh, transgender transformation of Josh over the year, a year and a half from Josephine. Oh wow! So th- this was just an example of how, like you know, just continuing to dig, we were able to find you know uh, uh, who we were looking for as a female right. is now a male, um, and imagine how that helped us with surveillance going forward. Oh, right? no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a very interesting um, social media gotcha moment where we were able to find this and the videos we were able to find, you know, showed orthopedically that uh, they could do a lot more than that they had claimed. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's uh, – and, and I love that example too because that's, um, you know, obviously a, a cultural um, – trend or, or something that people are paying a lot more attention to nowadays is, you know, the transgender community. And um, this is, you know, less of the kind of transgendered rights conversation. It's more of the um, other uh, kind of downstream, you know, just uh, characteristics of having more of a open transgender community, you know, what what that entails for everyone, right? Yeah, listen, it was the first time we ever saw something like this, and it, it it's really opened up our thought process to, you know, be on the lookout for this more often, you know, as it could, it could be occurring. Yep. Um, surveillance gotcha moments. I I have a few here, but you know, we had a guy a few months ago that big shoulder injury went out golfing four times the following month. Oh my God. Shoulder injury. 
we had a guy, he went to his FCE, um, 10 out of 10 pain, really uh, dogged it at the FCE. The results came back and, and, you know, he was saying he couldn't lift five pounds. <laughs> he went home 20 minutes later and removed a refrigerator on the same day <laughs> from the back of his pickup truck. So, you know, that's blatant, cut and dry, yeah. you know, fraud in that situation. And, and just for uh, anyone listening who's not familiar with the, with the you know, the term or the phrase FCE, that's mm-hmm. functional capacity examination. Correct. Um, so anyone who's seen um, some of the ways that they kind of do like CGI almost, um, they put little, you know, colored dots yeah. on your body, um, typically at your your joints or other points of inflection or, or reflection, and they'll uh, essentially use a, a video camera to watch your gait or watch how you move while you pick up objects or stretch and things like that. And that can tell you a lot about whether um, someone actually is injured, whether they're milking it, and to what extent their you know limited range of motion is. So, uh, just a little kind of uh, the more you know, you know, public service yeah. announcement on that one. Uh, anything else in terms of the the world of kind of you know so I, gotcha fun a, stuff? Another um, residency case. We were working on a, a, a law enforcement official who had uh, he is in the process of moving out of the county. He also had a work comp case, but you know there's rules that they need to stay within certain um, territorial areas for for residing as a, a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. So not only did we get video of him moving boxes and, and carrying all of his you know. Um, household items and moving in a U-Haul to a new residence outside the county, Okay, um, he was deposed and he testified that he didn't move and he didn't carry those boxes and he actually perjured himself. Yep. And as yep. a result, you know, his claim was mitigated, but he also lost his job yeah. as a police officer in that yeah. matter. So that was a real big gotcha, like, wow, you know. Uh, this evidence can be used in multiple facets. Oh, yeah. And also from that angle, I think that's a take home for uh, anyone who, you know, they have a legitimate claim, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the And the intent of workers' comp, um, the intent of most of the laws that we have also on the liability uh, side of the house or, or even in the property claims and, you know, the employment practices claims arena the intent is to make sure to right wrongs or to you know help someone who's injured get back up on their feet and recover recover as much as possible um but in those cases you know don't don't stretch it like don't don't try and go for more just thinking that you you got them right where you want them mm-hmm. um just make sure to work with the system the system's there to to try and get you back to 100% especially if it's a workers comp Absolutely. claim and you know that's that's also uh, you know, my father was a police officer for 27 years, so that's also kind of a, a bittersweet story for me because, you know, the the last thing you want to do is take someone uh, out of the the field of work who it took a lot of time to train, probably had a lot of experience on the job, um, and and really, what were they going to get from it? Right? Mm-hmm. They were maybe going to get a, a couple thousand dollars more on their permanency mm-hmm. claim on the workers' comp case, or a couple more weeks of you know not necessarily have to be in full duty. But uh, yeah, no. And, so and to that point, I would just add, you know, we are a third party. We are an objective party. Yep. Um, you know, we. Um, we oftentimes go out and learn that individuals are legitimately injured. Right. You know, we're reporting that back to the insurers. And sometimes it's best for the insurers and the attorneys to know that information and say, you know what, we got a legitimately injured individual here who, who we need to pay and yep. we need to give them permanency in this matter. Yep. And that's very important to, to understand, you know, 
while we are hired by the insureds, you know, we are a third-party objective party that's separated from the insured. Uh, and it's our responsibility to stay professional in that matter and, re- and report and record what we see. Right. You know, it would be illegal for me to say, you know, this guy's out here walking without a cane, with a cane and we're not videotaping it. That's just not the case. Right, right. You know, I will videotape that and I will report that to the insured. And at that point, the insured can make their decision how they want to move forward with that case. Yeah, and, and I think the other important thing is that you have a professional reputation and a brand that you're trying to build and uphold. And so you're going to go about doing your business correctly because if you don't, you know, the phone stops ringing, which is a, a good point. Uh, all right. So uh, the last uh, last question here, the last uh, section is the um, kind of the more just kind of get to know you kind of moment. Okay. Um, I, I try to ask most of our guests. Sometimes I forget a little bit. But uh, the last question I have for you is really uh, what are you either reading or listening to or watching nowadays? Uh, and it can be, you know, any anything from a professional development thing to uh, more of an entertainment piece. Well, I watch a lot of cartoons. I have a yeah. three-year-old at home. So <laughs> that'll do. I don't get a lot of control of the television. Uh, but no, in all honesty, uh, you know, you, you said John Ganey's coming in. You know, that's yep. one of my industry uh, experts that I turn to for advice. And, and Oh, his blog's fantastic. His blog is amazing. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of the different case law that develops, uh, you know, can affect us as investigators and vendor to some of the insured. So I do um, take time to read some of the more interesting articles he posts there. Awesome. Um, there's a magazine, PI Magazine, uh, which is obviously catered to investigators. Talks about new technological advancements. So, cool. you know, I'll try to uh, squeeze a few minutes in to, to read a few articles here and there on that. And then just for me, you know, in my business as an owner, uh, I read Inc. Magazine. Okay. And, and that's a magazine that really helps me better understand client relations and, you know, things I can be doing to, you know, better cater to my client's needs, you know, in a professional manner. So awesome. I, I would say that's a, that's where I, I try to try to live. I, w- I would say that's a very well-rounded answer to that question. We got one of <laughs> one of every uh, topic in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I want to say thank you. Uh, where can everyone find Prime Source or information on Prime Source if they're looking online? Sure, PrimeSourceInvestigations.com. Um, you know, I have a, a few blogs on there myself. Uh, one talks to the red flags that we had, we had mentioned earlier. So if there are red flags as a risk manager or personnel director that you want to get a better list of them, you, you can go to my site and you can read about them and read about how we can help you with our services. Fantastic. All right. Yeah, everyone go to, what was it, primesourceinvestigations.com? Correct. Awesome. Yeah, and sign up for the blog. So, Nate, thank you very much. I Matt, appreciate it. having me. Yeah, and we'll have to do another one of these. Absolutely. Yeah, especially on the, uh, you know, the more gotcha kind of cases. Sounds I want to hear more about that. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Call Your Broker. We hope you got something out of it. If you did, please, please, please hit the like button, subscribe, leave a comment or a review. If you have specific questions, you can always reach out to us directly at either treadstonerisk.com or lbanj.com. See you next time. And always, this is a reminder to call your broker. <laughs>